Well, good morning, Barb. It is time for Gardening with Barb. Hello, how are you? Hey there, Dwayne. It's good to be talking to you. You know, it's always fun to talk to someone who says, I'm not a gardener, (laughs) because there's so many things you can wow them with. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, uh, Karen and I were kind of talking about that before she went on vacation. And by the way, Karen, right on vacation this week. She will be back Monday, and uh, that'll be good. She was commenting on the fact that I played uh, Tired of Being Alone and uh, stuff like that. So she's <laughs> now suggested a bunch of songs for me to play that are about me being all alone here without her. So <laughs> we'll probably get to a few of those uh, here uh, after after you and I are, are through here and I have an opportunity to, to to run down those songs. So, oh, it but, sounds uh, great. Yeah. I love I love the music that Karen plays. Yeah, yep. She and knows. she very often will play a song that I request from my husband, which is You're My Best Friend. It's ah. just a, a great song. Sure. But hey, you know, last night, the rain coming down, that was music to my ears. There you go. It didn't last long enough. We up here um, on Hilltop, where I live, I looked was out this morning, looked at the rain gauge, got a half inch of rain. Not nearly enough, but it is a start. Right. And uh, and, and that's the thing. It was sort of a toss-up there. It seemed like, well, we might get a pretty good deluge or something, but it didn't uh, didn't work out that way. But yes. still, it's, yes. uh, it's some, but not nearly enough. Yes. What we actually need for all of the things that we grow is one inch per week, and we are at a negative. So don't rest on your laurels now if you think everything got watered enough. It really didn't get watered enough, so you're going to have to continue watering. Um, Make sure that you put down that inch. If you don't, you know, you can really have some serious ramifications, especially with your vegetables. And this week I had a question from a family that gardens up at Good Council with me, and one of the things they raise is kohlrabi. Now, are you familiar with kohlrabi? Uh, just the name of it. I haven't, uh, haven't actually uh, sampled any. I haven't sampled any. Well, it, it's in the uh, brassica family. It's, it's a cousin of uh, broccoli and cauliflower okay, and cabbage sure. and kale. So it has that, um, it's, it's not bland by any means. It, it's a, a bulb that grows above ground. So you have the leaves, and then it develops this bulb, and then there's the root underground. And what this family found was their kohlrabi, which they always raise, and they raise the same variety. Uh, What they got was just leaves, 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 no bulb developing. And because it's in this brassica family, it can bolt. And that means you just get, when you don't, when it's too hot, uh, when it's too dry, you just get the leaves. The plant just can't, simply can't do it without, without the right temperature and without enough moisture. And, and I think that's what happened, um, to this family's kohlrabi. Now, one thing about kohlrabi, besides having this bulb that we just, you know, that we eat, you can also eat the leaves. They're, they're, they're a little bit stronger, but you could cook them like you do with other greens, um, add steam, and then add a little bit of lemon juice, salt, and pepper, 
um, it's, it's, it's going to be really fine. And if you think the ribbing, the, the leaf has a rib running through it, if you think that's really thick, then don't cook that. Just cut around that and just the, use either side of the leaf of the, uh, of that, um, main vein there. Now, will this plant come back? It would be, I really doubt it. Once something bolts, usually that's it. You've got the leaves and that's it. But you know, you can grow kohlrabi yet. There's enough time. You can buy different varieties. They're from 45 to 64 days to mature. So you could still get a crop this fall, and you might want to consider doing that. But what's really important, when we have high winds, and, uh, well, I should back up a little bit. When you have a spring light we had, it was cold. We had frost. It, it was windy, um, and it was wet. And then we went into high winds, heat, and no rain. And, you know, when you have 94 degrees um, in the spring like this in June, that's, that's very, very unusual, and it's very difficult for, for plants. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just uh, like the uh, Brissica family that suffered. It was also trees. Our ginkgo tree down in Glenwood, where you have our, our master gardeners, have our teaching garden, our experimental garden, the ginkgo down there, the leaves curled up on it. Which, And what's unusual about that, Duane, is the ginkgo tree is survived the ice age. So it could survive that, but it could not survive absolutely very little moisture and winds and heat all at the same time. So um, two of our master gardeners were down and simply watered and watered and watered it, and, and it, it they unfurled, the leaves unfurled, and it's looking pretty good again. But it's just a lesson that um, keep watering, be diligent, and with your flowers and your vegetables, add mulch. I have leaf mold that we uh, collect in the fall. We rake the, mold, the leaves. We, we compost them. We shred them with the lawnmower and put them in bags. And then in the spring, as soon as the soil is warm and we have our things planted, we start adding them. And the recommended amount is four inches, which that seems a lot. But when they, when they start shrinking down and when we have heat, they just disappear really fast. As a matter of fact, we had to remulch our garden up at Good Council last week and at home here, too, as well. We just had to add more because we needed that. Now, an interesting thing, another interesting thing that I'm doing right now is uh, I'm looking at living cover crops. Like, can you plant something like a, not necessarily a companion plant that's going to, um, uh, that's going to boost or be an asset to the plant it's, it's covered with? Because sometimes it can be, but other times it, it isn't really known. We're just experimenting with these things. One of the, things I'm doing here at home is the bearded iris. That's the iris that have rhizomes on them, and 
they have a tendency it, um, to get iris bores. And so I have been growing uh, creeping sedum. Now, there's different types of sedums. There's tall ones that, like in the fall, autumn joy, that can be 14 inches tall. Or there's the ones that just creep along the ground. And it's these creeping, crawling ones that I am raising with my iris. And the area that I've had them, I haven't had any iris bore. So, you know, the iris bore grows, it lives in the ground. So maybe this prevents them from um, uh, living there and coming up and feeding on this rhizome. I don't know. But that's one thing to think about. At Good Council this year, I have an experiment. I'm using uh, four mortgage lifter tomatoes. Now, mortgage lifter is really a hardy tomato. My son grows this in Alaska. It grows about five feet tall. It needs a really sturdy cage to support it. We have a lot of wind up there, but even if you don't have a lot of wind, because it it bears these big fruits. This is a heritage tomato, and that's one of these that... Well, it depends on who you talk to, as at least 50 years old or older. So the mortgage lifter got its name from a man who introduced it, and um, he had such good luck with it. And his neighbors and friends, seeing his plants, said, well, could we get some plants? And he said, well, yeah, he could start seed for them, and so he did. And at that time, the plant wasn't named. Now, this is how the story goes. This is one of those things that this isn't science. This is this is what you hear from people. Okay. That, so he sold enough plants, which over the time came to five thousand dollars which paid off his mortgage, and he named this plant when he introduced it then nationally as Mortgage Lifter. <laughs> so, well, yeah. there you go. It worked, right? It, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, we, we like that plant. So I introduced it up in my garden, and what I've done is uh, I've planted crimson clover as a cover crop. So I won't be putting it in any other mulch. This will serve to keep the ground from drying out. But the benefit of the crimson clover, it's a ligium. And ligiums, uh, they uh, uh, produce nitrogen. And tomatoes, because of this tall upper growth, they are high nitrogen users. So the, there would be a, a second benefit here then. If they put nitrogen into the soil, my tomatoes should be bigger and better, right? Yeah. That, that sounds like that would be That a would good make thing. sense, yeah. So we had to have, in the, we have <clears throat> in our gardens, that we have 10-foot sections, and then we run pathways <clears throat> so that someone tra- traveling to a path, to a a plot next to you can get into their plot. Mm-hmm. So we have 50 feet, but at 10-foot intervals, we have the, the little pathways. So in one 10-foot section then, <clears throat> where the soil would be basically the same, <clears throat> excuse me, I have planted four mortgage lifters in a bed.
crimson clover. Okay. And then um, in one part, in one small part of that garden, there's absolutely no crimson clover. And then that's where I have another mortgage lifter. Well, that plant without the crimson clover is about uh, three times taller Hmm. and more vigorous than the ones in the crimson clover. So I was talking to Shane, who is our Lewis County Extension agent, and he said there could be two reasons. Number one, um, the crimson clover also is a great user of moisture. Right. So maybe even with the watering that we're doing, maybe they depleted the soil of water in that area. Sure. That that could be one of the explanations. But it just might be this imbalance of nitrogen. Sometimes when you have too much of a good thing, um, the plant can't use it readily, and then you have a problem as well. So I'm not... I, what I could do at this point is I could hoe out all that crimson clover and and just say, well, that doesn't work. But it's really not a good test. So I'm going to leave it there yet for a while and see if, if we have cooler temperatures and we have more sure. rain, if they'll grow. So being a gardener is a fun thing. <laughs> Always experimenting. That's the thing. You're trying to find the best set of circumstances <laughs> to achieve the best results, right? Yeah, and that's exciting. I mean, you just don't plant something in the ground and then that's the end of it. You watch the growth mm-hmm. and, and you record things and you record when you got in the garden, how much you harvested. Like now, one of the tests for the... Uh, for, for the crimson clover experiment will be to test the soil and see if the soil where the crimson clover is, if that has more nitrogen in it, and then test the soil where it wasn't and see if there's less nitrogen. That's that's one one way of finding out if it improved or helped the soil, because it may be such a thing if you just had soil that was really depleted of nitrogen, you just want to raise a cover crop of that because we we do know that it fixes nitrogen in the soil and we do know that when we, uh, that the nitrogen doesn't stay fixed in the soil, it moves through it and then that's that's the problem with it. But the the other test would be, um, I, I will have to go A, B, C, D and every time I pick tomatoes off from these plants, I will have to weigh them and see how they do that way. And then the one that doesn't have the um, clover, I will weigh the produce that I get from there. I suspect, and those things change drastically, that this plant that doesn't have the crimson clover is going to outproduce the other four plants totally. So we'll see. Yeah. It'll It'll be interesting to see. And it will be interesting to see. Um, we rotate crops because that's the best practices. You can't raise the same crop in the same area. And farmers do this, too. Sure. Oh, yeah. They're not monoculture. There's, they're going between soybeans a lot of times mm-hmm. and corn. Well, we, we keep rotating. So having these five, ten-foot plots, I keep rotating my plants down. Now, things that are in the same family, like like the brassicas where you've got cauliflower, mm-hmm. uh, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, uh, those things, 
that you can't put them in the same uh, uh, in the same plot as if you had cauliflower one place and you had had um, uh, your kohlrabi another place. You you have to rotate them as well. So <clears throat> so I'll I'll be doing that, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Now, when we talk about how uh, the cousin of the kohlrabi, uh, one of the cousins, that would be the cauliflower, that is doing better than it's ever done before. That is forming heads. I have nice heads on the cauliflower there. So, um, you know, we just you just try and figure these things out. Why is this doing so well right. in the same family, but in another plot for another gardener, it's not doing well. So, you know, uh, it, maybe it depends on how much uh, mulch they had on. I, because I planted all these things in heavy mulch, maybe despite the fact that we had less rain and we were watering regularly, uh, maybe maybe that's the solution. So you can't really jump to conclusions either. So yeah. at home now, the flower garden is doing just absolutely marvelous. I have some of the most beautiful roses. I have three rose bushes in front of my greenhouse, and they are lovely. Um, they're called Easy Elegance. They come from that uh, uh, brand, and they are on the one, the middle plant, I would say I have at least 20 to 25 blooms on it. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, you're it's kind like of... Kind of at the fun time of the year here, where all your efforts uh, earlier in the spring are are kind of paying off now, being able yes. to see some of that stuff, the blooms yes. and things, yeah. The thing that we watch for with, with this now with the roses, um, we you can get rose, you can get the, uh, the uh, rose soft fly, which is a bug, or not a bug, it's a worm, a caterpillar, and that's very small. It's like a little bigger than a common thread would be and they'll get in they'll start eating and also the other thing that's really bad are the japanese beetles they come in and you know they've got that kind of um you can identify them because they have this emerald ash um color on their back it, you the light hits them and i mean they just stand out but you, you can hand pick those they actually, with the roses, what they do is they kind of make their home in the petals, deep down in, and so when you go to hand pick them, you have to gently move the petals around, and then you have a bucket of soapy water, and you drop them in there. And if you do this early in the morning, when they're they're still dormant, they're not active then, okay. you, you can get them. You, when you get done, you have... You have lots and lots of Japanese beetles. Now, that's the nasty part of gardening. <laughs> sure. I, I'm, you can't be squirmish here, you see. So <clears throat> the other thing that we haven't had, when we have really uh, a lot of rain, we very often get slugs. And one of the things that slugs like in the garden um, at home here are the hostas. And they come up from the garden, from the soil, and they go up the stem, and they eat. They they just eat and eat and eat. They're just 
really a nasty thing. But so far, we don't have them. So, you know, pluses and minuses. Exactly. Well, we've uh, got just a few more minutes left, so what else would you want to make sure that we uh, we touch on today's edition of Gardening with Barb? Well, I heard you say that you knew what an annual was and a perennial was. <laughs> I wondered if you know what a biennial is. Oh, no, I don't. It... Well, it's a plant that you plant it, and the first year it grows, and then the second year it blooms and it dies. Oh. And one of those are uh, forget-me-nots. It's a beautiful little blue plant. Yeah, it has a blue flower on it. It's it's very delicate and, and just wonderful. So now you can add that to your vocabulary. Yeah, I, I can. I'm going to yes. have to write that down and do a little bit of research on that so I, I know a little bit more about it. But, yeah, all right. That, that and, works for me. Okay, and if you grow <laughs> anything, one inch of moisture a week is what things need. And if we have high winds or if it's hot, protect things. You know, put as much mulch down as you can. And if you've got something that needs a a shade covering, row crops that have the net in them, that is one of the best things that you can do. Okay. Well, okay. good to know. I, I know that you and uh, you and Karen did talk quite a bit last week about that right there, where you were talking about uh, the winds because it had been so windy, yeah. and uh, and, and uh, the fact that we're uh, uh, kind of on the lower side with regard to moisture here. So making very much sure we, so. very we, much so. we keep we on top of those soil. things. We have great soil, Dwayne. Yeah. And so we want to encourage everybody to garden and get out there and pick your produce and enjoy what you what you planted. The fruits of your labor, as they say. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Barb. Have a yes, great bye-bye. day. That is Barb Lampson with the River Valley Master Gardeners here on 89.7 The Maverick.